0: anyone's game podcast following women's football
1: hello and welcome to the scotland edition of the anyone's game podcast i'm robbie Hunrate and today i'm joined by gordon mccomb and jack gillis thanks for joining me lads how's
2: it going i'm good yeah not too bad not too bad
1: perfect well a not start with Pedro Martinez-Losa Scotland boss on Friday, a 2-0 victory over Hungary. We will go over this game in more detail very shortly, but
3: Jack, what's your initial thoughts been to this managerial appointment? I think, you know, it's, he was a good he was a good choice, you know, he's got a good sort of um, CV behind him. So I was really, really happy because Shelley Kerr obviously did quite a lot for us, but I definitely think it was time for a change and getting a different sort of coaching and he provides that. And I'm... Um, Really glad that he brings that sort of experience to the continent over as well. Obviously, he got a different way of playing, and he's had that experience in England, and he has worked with and been used to a lot of the players in the squad. Obviously, we've got a good few players in the Scotland squad down in the WSL, so he'll know those players. And even managing against them, he'll know those players as well. So I think it's really, really good to have him in and a winning start, so you can't ask for much more. Yeah, would you say that, Gordon, it was a bit of a wild card to some
1: because they waited so long for Shelley Kerr leaving, that Stuart McLaren is the an interim, and then finally it was Pedro Martinez-Losa announced. What was your initial reaction to
2: that? Uh, you always feel like the pressure kind of mounts on that decision then because they'd taken so long, because they'd sat and waited and, and gone on about the, the kind of recruitment process that goes into selecting a manager. And I'm sure they wanted to pick, you know, the best person possible, go through everything with a fine-tooth comb. It does put a little bit of pressure Obviously, we've had the, the win already, um, but, you know, he'll, uh, he'll be feeling the heat a little bit just because of the nature of that recruitment process, I think, which is a little bit unfair for him. But I'm sure he'll manage.
1: Yeah, I totally agree there. And you're saying feeling the heat. Would you say Pedro Martinez-Loza was thrown into the deep end, having had no prior fair lays to these qualifiers, Jack?
3: I definitely, think. Any manager would have felt the heat coming into that. You we know, are not having any friendlies to so, sort of, you know, you're right thrown into an important campaign. Obviously, we want to kick on from qualifying for the World Cup in France. And it was a bit disappointing that we're not going to the Euros next year. So he does have a lot of pressure on his shoulders, but it's a group that I definitely think we can do well in. And yeah, so I definitely think he has got that pressure, but at the same time he's not because you know, sides like Hungary, sides like the Pharaohs, who should be beating I know, um, we'll talk about it a bit later, but Spain provide a tough challenge, but again he, I think he's got the experience needed I mean, the WSL is a really hard league to manage in, and he's got that experience down there so I definitely um, think he has got pressure, but at the same time he's got the positives going for him as well.
1: Yeah, and it's quite funny that he replaced Shelley Coeur at Arsenal and then now he's replaced her at the Scotland national team as well, so it's a bit of a trend there, but Scotland captain, Rachel Corsi, she was very clear in a message prior to the new dawn of the Scotland national team with Pedro martinez Lose, saying that nothing but six points from the first two games would do. We've obviously
2: had the first three points. Surely,
1: going into this Faro's game, we can make it six points out of six,
2: can we, Gordon? I mean, you've got to be looking at that and, and expecting to see a bit more of a statement from uh, Martinez-Losa. I know he used a similar sort of setup as we've seen under McLaren as well. Uh, in the first game, and, and you can talk a little bit about perhaps the call-offs and the injuries that bring that that, that about. But, you know, the Pharaohs are off the back of a, a, a pretty heavy defeat to Spain. Um, I'm sure they'll want to be setting things right, but you've got to be looking at that. If you're planning on competing with Spain to qualify as we are, you've got to be looking to put down a similar marker. Kind of, there isn't really an excuse. It doesn't matter that he's new. It doesn't matter about the squad problems. Um, the result is going to be king on that one, and and it's a chance for him to perhaps have a little bit more space to make a statement with how he wants to set the side up.
1: Yeah, especially given group rivals, Spain, you mentioned Spain, they've not lost a qualifier since twenty twelve. So we really, if it does come down to goal difference, you want that, you want to rack up the goals. And I think Martinez Loza said in press conference today that he just hopes once they get one that they can kick on and get more. Because sometimes it can be like that against sides like the Faroes that they'll be compact and put most players behind the ball. So it's breaking them down with the quality we've got. Do you feel like that, Jack?
3: Yeah, definitely. We have obviously it's like a golfing class and the Pharaohs are developing, they are developing their national team. But obviously as a small country, they don't have the resources that we do. And um, so they've already got that disadvantage. But I think we should score a few against them because we've got so much quality, especially, you know, Aaron Cuff, but especially, you know, she's going to definitely grab a few against that Pharaohs team, at least you hope she could against that Pharaohs team. So I think that, but I agree with you completely. They're going to put a lot of players behind the ball and they're going to play some nasty stuff. They are quite well known for their physicality and they played in a regional competition not long ago, the Baltic cup where the Scandinavian and Baltic states play against each other and against decent Lithuania and Latvia sides, they actually were beating them. Um, And I think they, yeah, they must've won it. I I think they won it or they won it at under 21. But either way, they got, did quite well on it. And that's against sides like um, Estonia and Norway's under 21s get thrown in there. So I definitely think that Faroe's team are going to provide us some uh, challenges, but we should get past them fairly easily with the quality we have.
1: Yeah. So as you say, you know a wee, wee bit about the uh, Faroe side. Do you feel that Faroe Islands, just like Scotland, is... The women's football is developing that country and coming a bit more
3: popular, as you say, with the under-21s doing well and all that. Yeah, definitely. It's The women's game is really growing, and I think it's following a similar trajectory how the women's game is growing in Iceland. In Iceland, it's become really popular. I think what helped us, obviously, biggest daughters just went to um, Bayern Munich, and she's had a really good start there. And the Faroes it's growing, your know, ball club, Torshavn, which is one of the bigger women's sides in the Faroe Islands, uh, got a really good crowd by Faroese standards at their um, opening league game in the Faroe Islands women's league, and you begin to get Faroe teams becoming a bit more competitive in the um, early qualifiers in the Champions League at club level as well. And most of their players are homegrown, so that is really helping them. But the women's games growing in the Faroe Islands, I think that's been sort of spurred on by um, they you know they're part of Denmark um, technically, and I think the women's games going there, so they've got a lot of incentive from the Danish government, their own devolved government, really helped them. And like I said, the game growing at club levels, a big bonus for them. And then watching their neighbours like Norway and Iceland, the game growing theirs sort of really helped them as well. So I definitely would say that it's very similar here where the women's game's growing and the women's game's becoming more popular um, every day. But
1: but as you say, Jack, that's what we want to see is the women's game growing throughout the world, really. And especially on Friday night, there was three 10-0 scorelines and that's raised some eyebrows with the women's internationals, does that paint women's football in a bad way when it's such a big golfing class? Do you think, Gordon?
2: I think it, it's a it's a double edged sword because you don't want to take away uh, the challenge for some of these players. That you know, they if you're Pharaohs playing Spain, you kind of just by competing in the competition, you earn the right to to put yourself up against and measure yourselves against Spain. And okay, maybe you're measuring it in a in a circumstance in. It's not about winning; it's about the performance. But you, you've got to, got to give these teams the opportunity to opportunity to fail. Um, the problem I have then is that you you look at people coming into the into women's football and looking at it from from perhaps especially coming from a, a, a men's side of things, look at it and go, oh well, it's just like it's just like the men's where you know Spain will roll over Andorra or anything like that. You know why why do we put up with this? Gary Lineker coming out and saying, why why do teams play? Why do the big teams play the dirty teams, and both uh, both sides of football have got have got that problem? But you know these teams don't get better without uh, you know the incentive to get better. And I think if you pull kind of the opportunity to play these big teams away from them, uh, it kind of says like, no, go off and play in your own little space. Play uh, play the teams you're used to playing, and uh, come back to us when you when you can actually do something. it's a little bit it's a little bit patronising. I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I'll be honest.
1: Yeah, I think I think you make a very good point there, Gordon, because it was a. Talk today on a, the press conference about the fact that there's talks that try to make it harder for teams like Cyprus, I think Scotland beat 10-0 previously, and Faroe Islands, make it harder for them to make these World Cup qualifying groups. And I do see that as a double-edged sword. Do you feel like that, Jack? What do you think?
3: I think I definitely agree with the points that both of you made. But I, I think picking up especially on the previous point about teams needing to play these bigger sides, you, you look at like Russia, for example, Russia used to be not very good at all and now they've qualified for the Euros. And that's because they've got that experience, they've improved and these sorts of games will encourage the FA to invest in the women's team more and then they'll start to improve. So Russia is the key example of that, 100%. The Russian women's national team a few years ago were going nowhere and suddenly the Russian FA stepped in and started funding the Russian women's game at club level and now Russia have really developed into a really good side and have qualified for the Euros and deservedly so. And I think they'll maybe be the surprise package at the Euros next year. So I definitely agree. You need to build up teams. And I agree with it in the men's game as well. You know, the teams like Andorra and that, you need to build them up and get their experience because sooner or later they will improve and they will start making international tournaments. You know, you've looked at in Asia when the men's game go a bit off track, but Uzbekistan, they're doing really well in their qualifying group. Nobody expected a country like Uzbekistan to do well 10, 15 years ago. So you need to give these sides the experience.
1: Yeah, for sure, Jack, and I feel definitely the landscape of the world and especially international football is changing. You do go over to the men's football there, but you've seen results over the last two, three years in international men's qualifiers and teams like Liechtenstein or Georgia, teams you wouldn't have traditionally expected to pick up points against the traditional big teams like Spain, Italy, Germany, they've done so. So I do see that side Teams like Faroe Islands, obviously, we all hope as Scotland fans, we're going to put 10 past them or more, but you do have to go into it with that bit of respect for your opponent as well, I guess you feel.
2: Definitely. These teams will come, and, will come with a game plan and set up in a way that's designed to try and get them something out of the game. It's only when that starts to fall apart that you see the, the scoreline push, push towards your 10 nil So there are phases of the game uh, or, are, you know, uh, large chunks of the game where these teams are more than, you know, doing what they can to match match these teams. And they, you know, more than more than worthy of, of having that opportunity to do that, to learn from their mistakes and, and to try and take themselves forward.
1: And especially, I guess, with the way Pedro martinez losses came in, he stuck with most of the same squad that, apart from the call-offs that Stuart McLaren had. And do you feel that it's important to have that solidified, unit of players who have maybe played together before an internationals, Jack, rather than bringing in heaps of new players? Obviously, we've had Lauren Davidson, Jenna Clark came in as reinforcements, but his initial squad was very similar to previous campaigns.
3: I think I'm really 50-50 on this, um, because I do agree, you've got to keep the consistency and you've got to keep a good group. At the same time, I think there's certain players that aren't getting the chances they maybe deserve, and I think there's players, and I might be coming across as like having the green tinted specs on here as a hobby, but there is players like Leah Eddy and Amy Gallagher that definitely deserve their chances in the Scotland team and not in the bigger games I understand there's players in the WSL um, that are more quality in, in that position that should be getting in ahead of them but I definitely think a player like Amy Gallagher should be getting included in a Scotland squad for some of these qualifiers same with Leah Eddy and even if she continues to have the season she's been having with so far, Michaela macaloney these sort of players deserve their chance. But at the same time, I can see it for the um, other end, taking the green tinted specs off, that you've got to keep a good sort of level of consistency so that the players get used to each other um, and the camp doesn't get disrupted. But I definitely think um, there's more players deserving their chances. And I'm glad to see Lauren Davidson. I know she's a ex-Hibs player and I was really impressed with her at her time at Hibs. I'm really glad to see her Get her chance at Scotland because Lauren is a quality player um, with a big future. So I'm glad to see that she got a chance at Scotland.
1: Yeah, it was quite a few times last season for Glasgow City that she really stood out and impressed me. And say Glasgow City don't have too many Scottish-based players, but the players that do are Scottish: Jenna Lee Alexander, and now Lauren Davidson, all in the squad. It's great for the Scottish Women's Premier League as well because we're going about the WSL, and we know that is a higher standard, but. As you say, these Hibs players as well, Hibs have started the season very well domestically, so there's no reason, they're not in this squad, but there's no reason why players, if they play well in the Scottish League this season, that they can't get a call-up under Martinez Loza in future, Gordon.
2: Yeah, I I think the pathway is the most important thing, and and setting up a, a clear route for some of these players to first prove that they can cut it at, at the at club level, first, you know, some of them will then earn the move to to the quote unquote bigger leagues. You know, your Italy's, your your Americas, your uh, down south in England as well. Um, but as long as you know, when they are when they're coming through, they can see like, look, if I if I apply myself, if I work real hard, if I do well at this club, I I've got a shot, and I'm I'm in with a shout. And I think that's that's kind of the the juggling that uh, Martinez Los has had so far is that you come in, you already want to change a lot. You do that all at once and guaranteed catastrophe at a time when catastrophe cannot be afforded. So how do you drip feed that change through into the team? A lot of that will mean keeping you know, your established, your established playing squad already, making them buy into the project first and then bringing in your new faces and able to get them all mel- melded together uh, as a squad. So hopefully we start to see that and we know how good the game is up here Soon, hopefully, you know, caps for uh, players already just competing at this level uh, would follow.
1: Yeah, definitely. And Jack got his green tinted glasses on earlier. I'll, I'll maybe put on my Sc- just Scottish men's football glasses for a sec. Talk about gambles as a manager and really seen it in men's football with new managers covering Stephen Glass, Ange Pochicoglu, trying to tinker, implement a new style of play and it's taking time to do so. And I really feel, as you say, saying Martinez Loza, Aaron Cufford made a comment the other day about how technical his training sessions are and just the change in like mentality with him coming in. And I guess as players, if you're so used to one way, it will take a bit of time to adapt to a new regime, do you feel, Jack?
3: Definitely, because obviously, like I said earlier on, Shelly Kerr, they the big shoes to fill, first of all. And second of all, they'll be used to Shelly's style of football, and I think it does differ. Um, quite a lot and I think Shelley had her own way of operating on the training ground and she was such a big personality as well you know so many players I mean I spoke to Joelle Murray about Shelley I worked with Joelle quite closely at the um, Hibbs Girls Academy and um, Joelle really talked about how Shelley Kerr was such a big figure um, within the team as well and how much of her character and a personality she was so it is going to be getting used to that not just the manager's system but them as a person as well you've got to get used to that so when you've had somebody like Shelley Kerr, it is really hard. But I think they're professionals and they'll deal with it in their stride. And I think you can already tell that the players have got a good relationship with him. You can tell that he's obviously made the right first impression, especially on um, big players like Erin Cuthbert. Um, she's sounded like she was really happy how things are going. So I think that is very good for both the players and him as a manager.
1: Yeah, and to- talking about things being very good, we can't escape but speak about the fact that the game that we're speaking about, the Pharaohs game, which is will be happening tonight by the time this podcast goes out, happening at Hamden, the National Stadium. Just how big a change an opportunity for the Scottish women's national team is it to bring the men's and women's teams closer by both playing at the National Stadium, Gordon?
2: I think it's just kind of aligning everything in a way that it's a move that we all kind of expected and hoped for. And... You see it written in a press report, and you're like, yeah, obviously. This is absolutely what should be happening. There shouldn't be a discussion. We shouldn't be having a conversation of, oh, do they, you know, should they be playing at the national stadium? Of course they should. The only thing, and I know we said a little bit about this earlier before we started recording, is that I kind of miss that notion of taking the game and, and bringing it to, to areas that don't necessarily get to see it as closely. Scotland's not a massive country. It is easy enough to get to uh, Glasgow to watch it. Well, if you're up in the highlands, if you're down in the borders, that's a, a big commitment for a Tuesday night, uh, you know, for a Thursday night, you know, the, the the midweek fixtures, that's a bit of an ask to get uh, fans up and interested. I know the men's have the have the same problem in terms of getting, uh, getting people for some for some. And in they fixtures. can't sell Hamden either, that
1: that's the thing, especially in some of these midweek occasions. But yeah. I'll let you go, Jack.
3: Yeah, no, I was gonna I just thought I mean going a bit off piece, but Germany. The, the German women's team, I completely agree with what was being said there because the German women's team, um, they've played the qualifier against Bulgaria at the Stadion der Freundschaft in Kottmuss. Then they're playing in Chemnitz, the Stadion under Gellerstrasse um, in their next qualifier. And I think that's good because Eastern Germany um, doesn't have a lot of top-flight football ever since the reunification. So to have the German women's national team, are, of course, one of the best, or traditionally and historically one of the best in Europe and the world, to have them playing there and seeing players like Svenja Hout, for example, playing in your stadium, in your city, is great because I think it's a part of Germany that gets ignored. So I just wanted to sort of bring that in there because I think it is good when we've seen Scotland playing um, at different parts of the country, but at the same time, it is good to see them play at Hamden. And of course, we are playing, Hibs are playing the Edinburgh Derby at Easter Road now against Hearts, which I think is absolutely huge. I didn't think... I'd see the girls play Easter Road again until we got Champions League again. That was honestly, but I think Ron Gordon came along and he liked what he saw. So I'm really happy about that, and that's how we'll grow the game. Not just in terms of like getting the fans in, but reputation. If the national team and club sides get to play at these big stadiums, and I hope Celtic and Rangers follow suit for um, the women's old firms that they get played at Ibrox and Parkhead as well.
2: Yeah, I'm glad well, it was easy for us to sit and talk rationally about why certain stadium playing in certain stadiums makes sense but it's also worth remembering that you know for the players you know playing at Hampden is going to be one of the most important things on the on the bucket list you know getting to play for Scotland getting to play at Hampden getting to play in a World Cup all these kind of things like Hampden is a part of that and it's easy to say oh wouldn't it be nice to to spread the game around as I have already but uh, for some of these players getting to represent your country at the National Stadium. You've watched it so many times on TV. You've watched the men's game. Now you're getting to be kind of the first women's team uh, in Scotland that, that plays regularly at Hamden. You know, it's, it's going to be a massive moment for all of them. Yeah, just, Absolutely.
1: Just to go back on what you said there, Jack, I agree with you totally Gordon, as well. Massive moment. Beat described it as a pinch me moment, but very good point, Jack, can make there with the um, Hibs and Hearts being played At Easter Road, I think the previous record's two and a half thousand. So it's free tickets, hoping to smash that. So any listeners to the podcast, it's humming and hearing about getting along. Get along to Easter Road for that match in a couple of weeks. Is it next Wednesday?
3: It's next Wednesday at seven o'clock, seven o'clock kickoff.
1: So get along to that, but also get along to the game at Hamden tonight. It's very cheap tickets and I'm sure it'll be great people on show but going back to Jen Beattie's comments she's had over 130 caps for the national team obviously plays for Arsenal in the WSL she, she will be someone that's seen it all in terms of the lack of media coverage and investment and now more and more people are standing up and taking interest so as you say for people like her to walk out at Hamden and just be in that occasion and sing the anthem would just be absolutely amazing for them will it Jack?
3: Exactly, I think that's every player's dream. As was being said, that you want to play for Hamden at Scotland. If you start out in the system, no matter whether you're playing para para football or men's football or women's football, to play for Scotland at Hamden's the dream, and to that that's the big thing. Stepping out on the pitch, singing the O'Flower of Scotland, and really just getting the feeling for it. That's the dream for any Scotland player. So I think it's excellent, and especially Jen Beatty you know, who's had family members getting to do it at Murrayfield at rugby or her dad and her brother um, getting to do it at Murrayfield. That's her moment. That's equivalent to what they've done um, for her. So I think that's great for her to be able to do that um, for the family connection there. And I just think it's great for all the other players, you know, like Claire Emsley, like Cusp, um, Cuthbert. Some of the players that are new to that squad are, are just starting to come in and that haven't had that chance to play at Hamden yet. It's huge for them. And I'm really glad that the SFA... I've taken that decision because Hamden's home for Scotland and it's only right that our women's team play there and play all their fixtures there, um, home fixtures. So, yeah, really, really happy and it is absolutely huge and I wish them the best of luck, take the uh, chance by the horns and really give the Faroe Islands uh, a good run for their money um, and give the crowd something good to watch and hopefully we'll tempt more folk over at women's football as well.
1: Yeah, here, here to that, Jack, but It's funny, you mentioned singing the anthem. Our our manager, Pedro Martinez-Loza, said in the press conference I was at today that he spent time, him and his coaching staff, and they've learned the national anthem. And someone on the call did try to tease him and try to get him to sing a a verse of the anthem, but he's he's a bit shy at the moment. So hopefully when the TV cameras pan on, Martinez-Loza, you'll hear him belting out the anthem, just like the rest of the fans at Hamden.
4: Before I I arrived to... to the to the position I I searched and I was reading I was watching I was trying to document myself on what 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 it means so for me it means everything I'm I'm capable to sing the national anthem now so I just feel it one more Scottish and uh, as well as me as my staff so I think that's the first star I think we we need to be in the contest we need to feel it not only to be in the contest but to feel it and it's part of my life now my my life is here my all my life and dedication is to to produce uh, for Scotland and, and that's the first step for, to make people around believe in what we want to achieve.
1: I know it's early days and you say that you can't take the Faroes lightly but Spain who's also in the group got 10 goals against the Faroes, does that put pressure on Scotland to hit similar numbers in case it does come down to goal difference in qualification?
4: Well we are aware that first we need points, second we need to score goals, we are aware of that but I don't think we can score 10 goals before we score the first one. So I think what we have to be focused is in the high tempo in the game, the principles that we think are going to bring bring us to the result and to put the game in the circumstances that can bring us to score goals after football is unpredictable. So I cannot predict if we are going to score one or five. But I I hope for our girls, they can score goals, they can enjoy, they can have this motivation, which is the most beautiful part of the game. Um, but, yeah, I think for Iceland, I think I would like to respect a lot of the opponent. I think we cannot uh, start thinking that we are going to score many goals. We just just be humble together and think that we will try to win the match and everything from that, we will take it as a positive.
1: And I know you had quite a few pull outs before the Hungry game. Christa Grimshaw, she started in the place of Caroline Weir. Do you see her having a big part to play in the future?
4: Well, I think it's a girl who did the job for one day, so she already proved what the, the task that we put her in charge. She did well. Uh, I think we, have a, we are lucky we have a room of, for other players also, and players are proving themselves. So I think, yeah, it's a player that we will, we will uh, trust in her for the future, but there are different games, di- different scenarios, and it will be other opportunities also for all the players for, in different contexts.
1: And finally for me, I know it's, as we say, it's early days, you haven't been in the job too long. You, do you feel it's still a very much an experimental stage or do you feel like you know what your best and strongest eleven is?
4: Uh, no, I will just feel totally uh, confident now with the group, with the plans that we have, not only with the players that we have now, but with the players that we will uh, take in consideration for the future. We know very clearly the criteria that we will use the majority of the players they already know because we explain them the objectives or because we i personally also call them call them some of them uh, and that's what we want we want to encourage to have a, a group of players totally involved this is not about 23 players it's about a group of players that we can progress uh, to build the future together and it's not just even about qualifying i think if we need to think in positive, that thing that we will play the World Cup and if we will play the World Cup, we have to prepare the players from now. Like, for example, players like Lauren Davidson or other young players who are potentially in the squad, they need to start working now and they need to start imagining themselves in the World Cup now, not when we qualify. What would you,
1: you say, Gordon, would the have not announced how much tickets are sold or anything, but we got 18,000 for that send-off against Jamaica before the World Cup. What would you say for this fixture, as we say on a Tuesday night, what would you say would be a healthy attendance for a women's game against Faroe Islands?
2: I'm going to be an absolute cop-out and say this is not a a numbers thing, really, is it? This is a, uh, you know, the statement is more getting the team in Getting as many bodies as you can in in through the turnstiles, whatever number you can get is the number that um, we look at. And and to be honest, we will look at and go, we we'll want more, as we should. The the wait till it's a wait till it's a Saturday, uh, a summer, you know, we're we're on the brink of qualification, all that kind of thing, before we start worrying about about numbers too much. I, I would say, just because um, there becomes this, this this strange thing with now when we start to quantify it, we're going to be looking at men's attendances and trying to pretend like these two are any way comparable and starting to make these uh, silly comparisons, these silly claims about what that means for the women's game in Scotland when let's just savour the moment, let's enjoy it. um, As as good an attendance as we can get and more importantly than the actual numbers, just as many in as good voice as they can as well because we've had so long, we are only just starting to get used to being allowed back into grounds. Let's just enjoy however many we can get through the turnstiles.
1: I think that's a very good answer, Gordon, because you do just have to take that one step at a time and just think, for now, they're now getting to play that national stadium, just that step up. And you think about did you both see today there's now big banners of Rachel Corsi and Andrew Robertson outside handed as well, so the men's captain and the women's captain. So that's great to see as well. And that will inspire other people. And they'll be like, it's not everyone. It's like us who big into women's football. People might be going to a game and say, oh, that's a women's captain. I might get along, or search it up. So it's good just to get that coverage yeah. as well because sometimes it's all about marketing the game right as well, do you feel, Jack?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, coming in at from a Hibs perspective, Joelle Murray is such a big ambassador for the club that I think she has um, got a lot of new fans into Hibs women because she was on as a pundit on our um, Hibs TV when we couldn't have fans in last season for the men's games and also Joelle um, at the end of the women's game shows always has time for the fans she always comes and speaks to the fans so I think Joelle as an ambassador um, has really helped us at Hibs and of course her and David Gray before David Gray retired really had that good relationship with each other as the captains so I think it's good um, with of course Robertson as well to have that and have that big banner and of course people going into the men's games you're going to go oh yeah she's the Scotland captain I want to go and see what she's all about and watch a game as you were saying so I definitely think that's good and of course it's all about marketing the game right like what we've done with um, giving away the tickets for free for the Edinburgh Derby it's about marketing the game because you want to get as many people in as possible you want to get as many people uh, um, new to women's football as possible and inspire the next generation of players as well so I definitely agree with that it's great to see that and um it's great to see it happening at club level, especially with um, us at Hibs as well.
1: Yeah, I'll, get, I'll give a few teams a shout-out here as well, especially like Glasgow City. They're giving away free season tickets for youngsters this season, and the Champions League game it was also free. And Aberdeen now playing set at the training centre, now playing at the Balmoral Stadium, which is a proper league, football league stadium. And they got a very healthy crowd against Celtic as well. So it just shows these, just takes these, men's established men's clubs really to get the women's teams on board and bring more people in and that will only benefit the whole game in the long run so it it, as you say Jack as well, it is about putting on a performance because when you get these people in or hooked, you want them to keep coming back as well and we'll quickly go over that 2-0 victory away to Hungary on Friday which was Martinez-Losa's first match in charge because you speak about entertaining people. We did get the 2-0 victory, but it probably could have been a lot more than two, could have it, Jack.
3: Definitely. It could have been um a lot more than two. A hundred percent. And I only managed to um catch the highlights of the game because I was watching um Hertha Berlin. Yeah, that's my um, German team. So I was watched, but I did manage to watch the highlights I did have it on the back on in the background as well. Um, but I definitely think it could have been more hungry our they were a good side, but they've lost Janet Yacabfe. You Of know, because this is something we're talking about before. We on record The Janet Yacabfi was such a big player for Hungary. And I'm sure anybody that follows uh, women's football and what follows in Europe, you'll know her from uh, Wolfsburg before she retired, and she was very, very good for them. And unfortunately, she's retired. She's only 31. So I think that's a huge thing for Hungary, losing a player like that. Um, and this is their first set of competitive games after she's retired. So they've lost a big creative influence in the um, form of Jakab fish who was their, um, one of the highest scorers of all time at the Hungarian um, women's national team. And she was actually up there with a lot of Hungarian men's players in the 21st century in terms of top goal scoring charts as well. She's one of Hungary's best players at all levels of the game. So losing her was a, a big problem for Hungary, but I still think they were actually quite decent because, like I was saying there, they are a decent side, Hungary, um, and they're one of the better sides in Eastern Europe. It's a region of Europe where the women's game still growing. And I think Hungary are one of the best out of the Eastern European side. So they were tough, but I think it could have been a lot more than 2-0. I think we could have done a wee bit better with some of the chances we had. Um, but I'll take it. It's our first three points. 2-0 away is always positive. Um, so I will take it. But I definitely think we could have been a bit more um, convincing and um, a bit more aggressive at times in the game. But like I said, I'll take it. Hungary is still a very, very decent side, albeit without Janet Yacabfi and that um, big key player and all the leadership she brought to the team as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Before I ask Gordon's opinion on it, I've got a few questions. Just as you mentioned, a 31-year-old influential player retiring for Hungary, Scotland's had the exact same with Kim Little. So it was big beach to fill with her retiring as well. I can ask you both this, but we're quite surprised to see Kim still at the top of her game playing in the WSL for Arsenal. We're surprised at 31 years old to call it a day with the national team, Gordon. Yeah,
0: I
2: mean, it's a difficult one because it's a personal choice. She's already um, you know, committed a, a lot of time to the national team. She's committed a lot of time to her, uh, to her life in football full stop, but you don't know what goes on behind the scenes that that that's, that's brought this decision along. Is it the change um, in leadership that's just just gone right? No, this is this is one of those I have to focus on on me. I've given enough to to other people. Uh, is she confident enough with the the players that she sees coming around her that this is something she's maybe been considering for a little bit of time and now seeing the understudies and going right. You know what? I'll do the I'll do the thing and I'll I'll step back and let let a new breed come through. Um, I, it, I do feel it's a little bit one of one of those, you know, I'm, I'm looking after myself in a moment and, and look, to be honest, she's earned the right to be selfish on that one if that's the case.
1: Yeah, she's absolutely a legend of the women's game, we can say that for sure. Did it take you by surprise as well, Jack, when that announcement
3: came up? Yeah, definitely, definitely I think it, it really did, I was sort of shocked, I was um, going through Twitter and then I saw the, um, that she'd retired from international football and I think it was quite a blow to me personally because um, Little was um, a player that I really like watching for Scotland because um, she's just so talented and obviously she's the to stay on Arsenal, which is more than you know. Talking about your Caffrey again, your retired altogether. You know, your then um, retired. Like I don't know what's caused that. Um, talking about behind the scenes because she didn't have any injuries that I knew of and um, she'd been doing well for Wilsburg, so it was a bit of a shock. But yeah, coming back to Little, I think. You know she has earned the right, she really has the right to take that decision. And Maybe she's just feeling that she's not up for it anymore or she maybe wants to focus on it at club level. I know a few players at other national teams have done that. Um, Anja Mittag retired for Germany well before she retired from club football. She was player manager at RB Leipzig last season when that's Anya Mittag at um, 38. So maybe she just wants to focus on club football a bit more. And like I said, plenty of players have done that where they've decided I'm done with national football, international football. I just want to focus on my club career. So fair play to Kim. um, And I wish her all the best um, for this season in the WSL. Um, Even though we'll miss her, we've got players that are more than capable of taking a place, even though they are big boots to fill.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can echo that. And it was great to see all the tributes and positive comments when that announcement did happen. But just kind of to round off, looking at that Hungry Game and into the Finals game, the same problem of previous campaigns, as we say, we missed out on the Euros, which is in England next year, and probably due to a lack of scoring enough goals. Had 18 shots, 65% possession, and only two goals. My Thomas came on, got that second, probably could have had an, two herself. There was other chances, some Cuthbert Ross had a ch- chance. Just really implement, getting that goal-scoring touch, and once we can do that, we can build some momentum. But then again, my point of view, playing the Pharaohs could be deceiving for players getting goals. What do you think, Gordon?
2: Well, you know, it, it's, it's almost a cliche and by that I mean it absolutely is. But um, especially in the in the forwards department, uh, football is, is such a confidence game. You do wonder going into that hungry game how much of that was, there's been a lot of change, uh, uh, you know, in the back room, um, for the national team, you're coming in off the back of missing out on those Euros because you've not scored a lot. There is that kind of idea that it's going to just play on them a little bit more, that there were a couple of those chances, there'll be players sitting in the dressing room at full time, I'm sure, that were thinking, you know, I'm better than that. I am absolutely miles better than that. I, that should be hitting the back of the net and we shouldn't even be thinking about it. But yeah. that's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's the nature of the beast. The worst thing would be if we weren't creating chances. I mean, we know that's not the case. We're still against Hungary. That's not the case. We know against Feroz that's not going to be the case. It just takes, you know, sometimes it just takes, you know, getting lucky a couple of times and then, you know, then suddenly everyone feels a little bit better. Everyone's buying in. Everyone's feeling a little bit more happy about it. The memories of not getting for the Euros are gone. And we start thinking about, right, how are we going to get on at the Worlds? Um <laughs> Yeah. Perhaps it's just you just need a game or two like that, and thankfully, you know, we're speaking about the hunger game, we've got the Pharaohs uh, tonight as well. And who knows, who knows, maybe that's maybe that's the kickstart that we need that, that gets the goal scoring boots back on for, for everyone.
1: Yeah, especially for me, two of I'd say Scotland's most creative players, two of the players I admire a lot, Caroline Weir and Lisa Evans, not being in the squad after withdrawal through injury, Christy Grimshaw, who is at AC Milan. She came in for Caroline Mayer into the side and it's good to see young player like that get a chance. And then you've got to look at L- Lana Clarend came on and Martha Thomas came on. They added that attacking spark as well. So it, it's, to, in my opinion, it's quite hard to predict what lineup Martinez-Losa will pick for this Pharoahs game tonight. What do you think, Jack? Do you think is Martha Thomas and Lala Clarend have earned the right to
3: start? I think, you know, based off the performance against Hungary, I do think the two of them uh, have earned a right to start. I think they would be good to have them from the get-go because they are very good creative players. Obviously, um, we've seen what they can do in Italy, and Italy is a top league. I think another player that deserves maybe not to start, again, I'm putting on the green tinted specs as a heavy here, but I definitely think that Rachel Boyle deserves a few more minutes than she got against Hungary. I think Rachel Boyle could have a good performance against the Pharaohs because, again, She's a player that's always consistent for um, us at Hibs. And uh, I really do like Rachel. I've, I've uh, made a bold claim on one of the Hibs podcasts that I backed her to score more than Martin Boyle this campaign. So fingers crossed. And hopefully, she can score more goals for Scotland than Martin can for Australia as well, because uh, Rachel's the best Boyle. But um, I definitely <laughs> think Rachel Boyle um, deserves um, a little bit more of a chance to get said, I don't think she should start because we have got players like Cleland in her position that are sort of ahead of her. But I definitely think Rachel deserves. Um, a few more minutes on the clock against the Fairy Lions I definitely think she could um, do quite a wee bit against them but I definitely agree those players have earned their starts um, Clearland especially and she's a player that I'm a big fan of You, I watch the women's Serie A and she is very good in Italy and um, she's very well liked over there as well so I definitely think she deserves it because she's um, consistently performing at a top level and she can come in and I definitely think she could pull the strings for us
1: So obviously, uh, Arsenal teammate Kim Little she recently announced her international retirement. Was that something? Did you try and talk to her out of that?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, like Kim and I are obviously really, really close friends. Um, I've known her for a long time, and it's always been one of the conversations that has, has been on her mind for a while for the past couple of years, I'd say. Um, so it wasn't a rash decision. You know, she she thought it through and. Of course, I would have wanted her to, to to continue, but for her, it was the right personal decision for now, and I m- massively respect that.
1: And, and you're a similar age to her. Do you see yourself playing for Scotland for the next campaign, especially at the World Cup, if we qualify?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I still get so much enjoyment out of it. I still absolutely love coming here again now with a new coach, with Pedro, It's it's got a new vibe altogether. So I still have so much pride out of it, so much enjoyment. Um so, yeah, I, I, again, based on the the year I've had, I've kind of got maybe have a new perspective in that sense that I absolutely love what I do. I love my job. So every cap is is just as sweet, to be honest.
1: Yeah, definitely. And also, I know you've played in the heart of defence and also in a holding midfield role. Is it something that Pedro martinez Lose spoke to you about where he sees you in the team in the long term?
0: Um, no, to be honest, that's not really a conversation we've had yet. Um Definitely based on training. I mean, it's, it's not even been a week yet, I don't think. Maybe a week today that I've worked with them. So it's very much early days. If, if that becomes a conversation, of course, I'd be open to it. But I think I'm, I'm definitely a centre-back. Hopefully, i still a centre-back going forward. But to be honest, if, if there's any way to stay on the pitch, of course, I'll be open to that conversation. Um, any way to help the team, I'll do it. But yeah, for now, I think I'm, I'm definitely still just a centre-back.
1: Yeah, perfect. And finally, for me... We spoke about the joy of getting to play at the National Stadium. Do you feel with, which I think will be quite a good crowd there, do you feel it's about putting on a performance to get these people back for future qualifiers?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Of, of course, the, the, the SFA have a job in marketing and trying to get as many people through the gate. But if the product's not good, then, you know, people might not come back. So it's up to us to put on a good performance and get three points. And, Hope that people enjoy the experience and enjoy watching and ultimately come back and, and keep supporting because the support has been incredible for us. When, when we qualified for the Euros and then the World Cup, we really, really felt the home support. So we can't wait to get out there tomorrow night and, and feel that all over again.
1: I'm going to be there tonight reporting for anyone's game and just to see Rachel Corsi walk out the captain's eye mode at hand in I'm I'm sure I'll well up just uh I get emotional on occasions like that anyway. Being it uh, well uh, as you mentioned earlier on the podcast, going with not having been able to attend football with fans and everything for so long, just having that back is fantastic. But just to conclude the podcast, what we need to do is we need to get your score predictions for the match. So we'll start with you, Jack. Scotland versus Faroe Islands, what are you thinking?
3: I'm going for Scotland 7 Faroe Islands 0. That's my score prediction.
1: And I'll I'll ask you now, uh, Who's going to be the first goal scorer for Scotland?
3: Oh, well, I'm going to be a bit controversial and I know it's it's just because she's my favourite player. I'm going to say I'll um, tip Emsley to get herself on the scoreline. I like Claire. ex hibby and um, <laughs> one of my favourite players. So I'll get tip Claire to get on the scoreline first.
2: And what about you, Gordon? What are you thinking? I mean, I love a good underdog story, and as much as I'd like to keep a clean sheet, I would like I would like them to have the like like an eight-one or something like that, maybe just so that we, the narrative doesn't just become about oh Scotland have absolutely rolled over the Pharaohs. Do they belong? Don't they belong? I'm going to be optimistic on their behalf and say like I hope they at least get one, uh, so they've got that moment, a moment to celebrate as well. Yeah, and who, who are you thinking it's got a bit the deadlock first for Scotland then? A little bit of cheating from me again, knowing that uh, Aaron Cuthbert's clearly on penalty duties. I will take care just in case there's, uh, you know, there's a chance to score from open play. But if there's a if there's one from a dead ball. In the area, I've got a double chance, so I'll take that. Uh, perfect, and I'll, I'll give my score prediction. I think that
1: I think Scotland are going to show up, and I think they're going to put on a performance. We can see that Martinez Losa, what he wants to play. He said the right things, he knows he wants to play the Tika Taka football with the Scotland team. He set up with 4 2 3 1 against Hungary. You wonder if Mike got a bit more attacking against the Pharaohs, but I'm going to go 9 0 Scotland, and I'm going to go. Gembe, I spoke during the pre-match press conference. Got to go, Gembe, to break the deadlock. But it's been a pleasure, guys, to get your insight into the Scotland team, the Hungary team, and the Faroes national team. So, thanks for joining me on this edition of the Anyone's Game podcast.
3: I've loved it. A um, really great chat. I um, thoroughly enjoyed myself.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me as well.